week 61 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. A nation in turmoil, but real change is in the air. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the battle, not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. All right. I got a great show for you today. Ron Klain, senior advisor to the Biden campaign and former aide to President Barack Obama, led the response to Ebola. Been trying to book Ron for a while, and I'm really happy to have him here. We talk about everything going on. But I've got to start where we are in this country, right? I mean, we are seeing people take to the streets to try to address the injustices that we all have witnessed for far too long. And I believe that this movement is making a real difference. Now, um, I see people out there. uh, I was in New York City over the weekend, went down to the protests, saw the march. Um, I think it's been remarkable, the amount of people taking part of this. Not only that, but the consistency. It's been going on now. For two weeks, people want to see real change in America. And they want to see real reform in the police. The way we uh, enact justice in this country. There has not been equal justice for all in this country. There has been far too many instances in this country of black men being brutalized or being picked out. Not just by police, but by anyone in any kind of security profession Even Barack Obama, when he was a U.S. senator, was followed around in department stores. And we're seeing people wake up. And I think it's a good thing. And, and, you know, there are some people on the right that want to say, oh, this is going to be great for Trump. No, it's not. Whenever there are protests in the street, it doesn't benefit the incumbent. I mean, this is just more evidence of a society on edge because we have a president who looks to divide. Now, last week, if you listen to this podcast, if you didn't listen to the last five minutes of this podcast last week, go back and do it. Because while I was taping the podcast, the president stormed Lafayette Park. And you got my real time, real reaction to that. When I first learned of it, I just went right back in. I completely changed the ending of my podcast And I did this, and I I reacted to the Lafayette Park, which I think, you know, Donald Trump has done a lot of bad things. I think it's by far 
the worst thing he's ever done. And then to say that he was going to send troops into the cities around this country. I, I mean, these are just things that are unforgivable. I'm sorry. That's why you see people like uh, General Mattis, uh, Colin Powell, even General Kelly come out and say what the president has done is wrong and that they can't support him anymore. Um, Mitt Romney marching with Black Lives Matter yesterday. I mean, that's good stuff. I think we've come a long, 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 long way. And I, I'm confident you are going to see some reforms in policing. And, and, I, and you know, I, I know that the slogan out there is defund the police, which I think, look, I'm a political strategist. I think it, when you're explaining, you're losing. Even when people who are the heads of this movement say that they want to defund the police department, they don't mean they want to defund the police department. They don't mean they don't want to get rid of the police. They want to change policing in America. I think we all want to. I think if you talk to a lot of police officers, they want to. Good ones. They what they should say is they want to restructure the police department and uh, and you know take certain roles away from them. Not all of them, not everything, but there needs to be a restructuring. They can't look. Cops are being asked to do a lot of things that cops shouldn't do. Uh, they're asked to be social workers. They're asked to be counselors. They're doing traffic control. I, I, I was talking to a cop the other day who was telling me that he has to remove trees from the road and chase wild animals if they get out. These are not things police departments should be doing. Over the years, police departments have assumed all of those functions and have assumed all the budgets of those departments. So yeah, we got to take money away from the police department and responsibilities and give them to other places that are more suited for them. I don't think police officers should be drug counselors. I know that police officers need to be involved with nonviolent things. Non really look, I mean, do I want a police officer to, to officer to respond in a violent situation? Of course I do. When there is a threatening situation, of course I do. If there's a crime that needs to be investigated like a burglary or an armed robbery, of course I do. But there are a group of kids smoking weed on the corner. Who should be responding to that? I mean, do, do I need a fully armed police officer in that situation? There needs to be training in de-escalation. There's a group out there called 8 Can't Wait, uh, 8CantWait.org, uh, that have eight reforms that would change policing in America, getting rid of chokeholds. Really, what I think it comes down to is accountability, right? There needs to be a real sense of if you do something wrong, you will be held accountable. I mean, if you or I commit a crime, we are going to be held accountable. We are going to be called criminals. We are going to have to go to court and defend ourselves. If we lose, we are going to go to jail. When a police officer does the same thing, that's not always the case. And we see, you know, in the George Floyd matter, we see three other cops standing around doing nothing. There needs to be a duty to intervene for, by other officers. Enough of this like fraternity boy mentality in police departments. They're there to protect us. And if one of them are committing the crime, the other police officers need to protect us, not the other cop that's committing the crime who has now become a criminal, something that you are sworn to fight, to protect and serve America. Yeah. I mean, I see these reforms coming. I see some of them getting instituted. And I, you know, look, it's going to be a long, hard fight. 
But I think you're going to see a lot of that over the next couple of years. And and I hope we do. I mean, I, I hope that we all come together as a nation and realize that this is the direction we need to go in. And I know that this is a political year and it's going to get bogged down in presidential politics and whatever. Look, I, I, I think the American people are going to vote based on the job Trump's done. And the job he's done has been utter chaos for four years. Yes, he had the economy going for him and that probably would have gotten him reelected because most people don't care. Now people care. They realize what a flaming train wreck he is. And they're going to get rid of him. So I know that the Republican Party is going to do its best to try to cloud the issue, try to make this into an us versus them issue. It's not. I mean, we live in a society that has unequal treatment for certain parts of us, certain members of us. I'll, I'll give you an example that happened to me this week, last a couple days ago. I was, uh, you all know I'm a runner. I was running on a track I shouldn't be on, a track that is adjacent to these temporary hospitals that were built. The track was open. I went on it. I ran. National Guard sees me running on the track. Now, I've been running on this track for two months, mind you. I just want to make this perfectly clear. The track has been open the whole time. I've seen the hospitals being built. I've seen the hospitals there. They're not really being used. Uh, And the track is fenced in. So it's not like I'm running right next to the uh, hospitals. National Guard sees me. They wave to me. And they say, hey, man, uh, you can't be here. And then they start apologizing to me for asking me to leave. Now, they were doing their job. I probably shouldn't have been there. Probably should have known I shouldn't have been there. The gate was open, so I ran. What am I going to do? Um, and they were apologizing. I mean, the, the guy, the officer could not have been nicer to me. Apologizing, apologizing, apologizing. I, uh, you know, I mean, I, I wonder... You know, I think about uh, Mr. Arbery, who is running, Ahmad Arbery, who is running in, in Georgia, and two rednecks thought he fit the description and shot him dead. And I was running, and, you know, a heavily armed guy came over to me and apologized for asking me to leave. I don't know if he was heavily armed. I, I, I can't remember. But it was, I I mean, would that have happened to me? Would I have been treated the same way if I was an African-American man? I don't think so. I really don't. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that it would have devolved into violence, but the way the guy was treating, tripping over himself to apologize for asking me to leave. Now, maybe because he left the gate open. <laughs> it was his fault. I don't know. Maybe he was running on the track earlier and forgot to lock the, tra- the gate. I don't know what the deal was, but he was tripping over himself to apologize to me. And I don't think that happens to a lot of African-American men who are being asked to leave a place they're not supposed to be. I just don't. And that's where we live right now. And that's got to change. And that's why there are tens of thousands of people marching. That's why I agree with the people marching. I want them to work on their messaging a little bit because I don't like explaining but I agree with them. You got to take money away from the police department and put it into other places. The police are doing too much. That's part of the problem here. They're doing too much and then they're not held accountable when they do wrong. Those two things have to change. They're not trained 
in a lot of these things. And they need to be trained in de-escalation. And de-escalation needs to be part of the job. It needs to be a requirement. Really, go to 8cantwait.org and look at those reforms, you know, and then and then work towards getting those reforms passed in your jurisdiction. 8cantwait.org. I'm like giving these guys a free plug. I haven't even reached out to them to come on the show. I'm gonna. Uh, in a couple of weeks, maybe. I have uh, I have a great guest this week in Ron Klein. I've got Torre coming up next week. Um, but 8cantwake.org. Maybe I'll have two guests next week. I don't know. I'll work on it. But it is... Uh, but, but here we are. I mean, we're in this situation. And um, um, I don't know. I, I, I feel hopeful that things are going to change. And, and looking at the polls, I just got off the television set there... Uh, Debating my pal Carl Rove, who got a little upset with me when I said it must be awkward thinking that George W. Bush might endorse Trump. I mean, I mean, excuse me, might endorse Biden against Trump. I- I'm confident he's not voting for Trump. Whether or not he'll endorse him is another story. Uh, I mean, when his Secretary of State and others that are close to the Bush family come out and say that they're not voting for Trump, uh, you know what that means. Romney says he's not voting for Trump. Murkowski says she probably won't vote for Trump. Senator Murkowski. I'm surprised we're not seeing more senators. But, you know, you're, you're seeing numbers here that are clearly trending in the right direction for Biden. There was a poll that had him up like 13. Uh, but Donald Trump's number, there are two numbers you should, you should note. Donald Trump's number almost always is at like 41 to 43%. In every poll, even in state polls, even in Texas, he's only at 44, right? But in the swing states, he's at like 41, 42%, and he's losing to Biden in most in almost every swing state poll, I see. But the number that I pointed out to Karl Rove that he wanted to ignore, that he can't, is a very simple number, and it is present in every single poll. When they're when they ask the right question and the question that needs to be asked, you know, there are people who don't like Trump or Biden at this point. They have unfavorable feelings towards both of them. But when you ask those people who they're voting for, they are breaking three to one for Biden. In 2016, it was the it was three to one for Trump. If people didn't like Hillary and they didn't like Trump and there were a lot of people, a lot more people in 2016 didn't like either one of them. There's still a lot of people that don't like either either one of them right now, but there's less than there was in 2016. Not by much, but there's less. It's, it's significant. Those people today are voting for Biden, three to one. That makes it very hard for Donald Trump to do his scorched earth campaign because look, the problem Donald Trump has is he's at 41% to 43% in hard reelect that's because people don't like him. His approval rating has been hovering around 43% his entire presidency, right? 43% almost his entire presidency. Sometimes you could do better than your approval rating. But the people who disapprove of him strongly, I mean, he's got 55% disapproval and people mostly strongly disapprove of him. They have got their minds made up about Donald Trump. This is his problem, right? So his plan is to run this scorched earth campaign against Joe Biden. But all that's going to do is, you know, make the choice between do you hate Donald Trump or do you hate Joe Biden? At the end of the day, people who hate them both are voting for Biden. So I don't know how much the scorched earth campaign goes for Trump. And he's going to have a really hard time convincing the 55% of Americans and maybe 3 or 4% that are undecided on Donald Trump to like him. 
People have made up their mind about this guy based on his actions, and there's no amount of campaign ad buys that's going to change their mind. You know, you might want to stop doing victory laps because the unemployment rate's only 13.3%, which is actually 16.6% when the Bureau of Labor Statistics corrected their math later in the day. Maybe stop doing victory laps about that. We've lost 24 million jobs during your presidency. It's a lot of jobs, Mr. President. It's why people don't like you. That's why you're not getting reelected. All right, I have an excellent guest, Ron Klein. I don't want to waste any more time before I get to him. Ron knows what he's talking about. You've seen him on MSNBC. Strong support. He's a senior aide to the Biden for President campaign, senior advisor. And he used to be Joe Biden's chief of staff. And he, of course, led the Obama administration's response to Ebola. So stick around. I got Ron Klein right after this short break. Joining me right now is Ron Klein. He is a former chief of staff to Vice President Joe Biden and now a senior advisor on the Joe Biden campaign. He was also President Obama's, uh, I, I guess we call you the Ebola czar, back when Ebola was ravaging Africa. And you did a great job, uh, Ron, in keeping that virus in Africa, something that this president was unable to do with the virus that ravaged this country. Well, thanks, Christopher. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, you know, look, I think we, President Obama launched a whole-of-government response to Ebola that was different than what President Trump did about COVID in three respects. I mean, first, he said we're going to let science and medicine develop the strategy. We're going to listen to the experts. My job as the response coordinator was to take that expert direction and turn it into reality in our government. That was the first big difference from what Trump's doing. Secondly, uh, we put every tool of the federal government at disposal fighting this disease. We didn't hold anything back. We didn't say, oh, this is up to the states to do on their own. Everyone's on their own. Every hospital's on their own. We had strong federal leadership from the president in terms of putting people on the ground in West Africa to fight it, getting test kits to hospitals here in the U.S., getting equipment to hospitals here in the U.S., getting hospitals ready for the Ebola cases we did have here in the U.S., and we really went all all in on that. And then finally, we put politics aside. We worked with Democratic and Republican governors. We weren't in feuds or pissing matches with people based on their criticism of the administration. President Obama worked very closely with Governor Rick Perry, yep. governor of Texas, who would run against him for president, yep. uh, and still worked very amiably with him. So I think there were a lot of differences back then, uh, and obviously they had uh, you know very big impact on the response to it. So what, I mean, look, it, it appears to me that the Trump administration did everything you could do wrong uh when it comes to this virus, they were they they first of all, they denied it exist. They had no planning. You left them. The Obama administration left them a pandemic playbook. And everybody likes to point out, you know, the, the people on the right try to point out, well, they couldn't have planned for this. But you so brilliantly tweeted out page nine of that play, uh, that that handbook, page nine. They didn't even have to read the whole thing. They didn't get to page nine that had coronavirus right in it. Yeah. So, you know, we left behind. Uh, a lot of things that the Trump administration should have used but chose not to. President Obama created, at my recommendation, a pandemic preparedness office in the National Security Council. Right. So we'd be ready for the next one. Donald Trump abolished that office in 2018. President Obama set up something called the PREDICT program, which had 49 offices around the world, including one in this part of China, to 
spot early emerging infectious diseases. President Trump shut down 39 of those 49 offices, including the key office in China. Yeah. And we did leave behind that pandemic playbook. You mentioned this, there was a 69-page playbook that said, here's what you do as a pandemic threat emerges. The Trump administration pushed it aside. So the idea that no one could have seen this coming is wrong. Right. The idea that we had done nothing to get them ready is wrong. And as you said, the Trump administration instead practiced delay and denial, and there are thousands and thousands of unnecessary deaths as a result. And it's climbing. And I think that given the fact that a lot of these states have started opening up before they even hit their peak, I I think you would agree that there is a danger that, forget about a second wave, this first wave really hasn't even ended. I know uh, I'm starting to see charts that show the U.S. uh, seven-day rolling average of deaths starting to climb. Yeah, so... Uh, As you said, it's not really even about the second wave yet. We're still very much in the first wave. The number of cases in the country overall is basically holding even up in some places, down in other places. But, I mean, a thousand people will die from COVID today, today alone. Yeah. And while that's certainly down from 2000, which was the peak, a thousand deaths today just should be an unacceptable death toll. That's, you know, basically two 9-11s every single week, week after week. Yeah. And to kind of say, well, I guess that's just the way it's going to be to throw up your hands, to give up on it. That's not who we are as a country. That's not what we should be doing. Now, if you had a magic wand and you could you know, convince Trump to do one basic thing to slow the spread of this, what would it be? So, you know, I'm going to push back on that because I think the biggest problem with the Trump response has been a belief that one thing would solve it. Mm. For a while, it was travel restrictions. That was the one magic thing. Then the one magic thing was hydroxychloroquine. Yep. Then the one magic thing was a UV light in your body. Yeah. And now they're hoping for a quick vaccine. The problem with pandemics is they require a thousand things, mm. all done well, to fight them. And you need a leader like President Obama or like Joe Biden who will sit down and will work on all those things. In this case, it's a combination of testing and contact tracing and protective gear and rigorous standards around reopening. We should reopen. We should reopen the right way with safety for our workers and for consumers. That will not only reduce the number of cases, but also it will make people more willing to shop and go to restaurants if they know the right right things are being done. Right now, people have no confidence. Trump's just saying, reopen, reopen, reopen. But people have no confidence that they're going to be safe when they shop. They're going to be safe when they go to a store or restaurant. And so places are reopening, and they're finding too few customers because Trump hasn't done the right thing. It's making matters worse. Making matters worse. And so as you said, cases, we just had an all-time peak yesterday in cases in Florida. Cases are up in Georgia. Um, You know, this this is getting worse, not better in many parts of the country. And it remains very bad in other parts of the country. And so it really requires a comprehensive, complex strategy. That's why there's a 69-page pandemic playbook, not a 3-by-5 card. Right. And the, and, the, and, the, and the problem with Trump is he's a 3-by-5 card kind of president. Yeah, 3-by-5 cards might even be too much for him. He's just, <laughs> he doesn't, he's like a fortune cookie president. He, You're right, that was an excellent pushback, by the way, which is why I wanted you, I've been asking you to come on this show for a while, because you clearly are a brilliant guy who's lived through this, oh, and no, rather no. than have no. the president's son-in-law running the response, I would really like it to be you right now. I mean, that's the magic yeah, I wand that. I would spread. I, mean, I appreciate that. Um, so, you know, that. obviously the country is focused on these protests. They're erupting all over the country. You are a senior 
advisor to Joe Biden, who I think has been handling this very well, has had a lot of uh, excellent conversations. I watched his town hall with the mayors earlier in the week. I was very disappointed in all of these broadcasters that have been gnashing their teeth about how Joe Biden needs to get out there more, not covering that very significant event he did uh, on Monday with the mayors of uh, Chicago and Atlanta and uh, a few others. Um, uh, how is the Biden campaign prepared to, to talk to Americans about how we get this country back on track after this virus? Well, you know, it is a, it's a great point, Christopher. I don't want to media bash here, but it is ironic to me that I read every day that Joe Biden needs to be out in public more, and then he goes out in public and the media doesn't cover it. In right. fact, ironically, at the very moment Joe Biden was having a listening session in a church, an African-American church, in Wilmington with a bunch of African-American religious leaders and lay leaders, all kinds of people listening to them talk about the problems our country faces, CNN, instead of carrying that listening session, held a debate among pundits over whether or not Trump should have a listening session. Right. So, you know, the vice president is out there addressing these issues. He is out there talking about these issues. And I wish it got more visibility. I thought his speech in Philadelphia got a lot of coverage, yep. got a lot of live air. People heard not just what he thinks or believes, but about some of the specific actions he's proposing for Congress to take right now to address uh, police abuses, to ban chokeholds, for example, nationally, uh, things he wants Congress to act on even before he becomes president. You led the recount uh, for Al Gore back in 2000. And I remember in 2000, uh, a group led by an operative for President Bush, uh, a guy named uh, Brad Blakeman, who I know from Fox News, uh, led a revolt uh, outside of a, a, an election headquarters in Florida. And I am concerned that with the increase in vote by mail in states like Texas and in, uh, North Carolina, Florida, especially among people over the age of 65, the election results might not be finished on election day. And it's going to look pretty clear that this guy's lost. Are you concerned that uh, Trump is going to be leading his 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 followers to go out to those polling places and start a ruckus. And what should election commissioners be doing to protect against that? Well, I think it's a valid concern, Chris, but I'd say two things about it. I mean, first of all, the Biden campaign in conjunction with state Democratic parties and other groups has put together a really very strong campaign to protect the right to vote, to to protect voters to protect the fair tabulation of votes, we are going to be ready to deal with whatever Trump throws at us. That's the first thing. But the second thing I'd say is this. People ask me all the time, what's the number one lesson you learned from the 2000 recount? We filed 35 different, or filed or defended 35 different pieces of litigation in 38 days. We went to the Supreme Court twice. Right. We, you know, just all, all kinds of lawyering, all kinds of things. And the thing I learned from that is the only way to avoid that kind of mess is to win decisively. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why we didn't face this kind of problem in 2008 and 2012. We didn't face it because Barack Obama and his campaign won by enough that all the Republican chicanery and efforts to do these things were unavailing. Right. And so the best way to make sure we don't face these problems, is to win strongly in November, is to get all those votes in, to get everyone to vote by mail if you can, 
to early vote where you can, to just make sure we have our votes banked on before Election Day, where, where voters have made their will known. That will is clear and convincing. And that's what we're seeing, Chris. We're starting to see a coalescing of Americans, progressives, more moderate voters, too, some ex-Republicans, some current Republicans yeah. saying enough is enough. It's time to get rid of this Trump era. Time to move on. And Joe Biden offers a strong progressive alternative. So I think, you know, I think we're ready for whatever Trump has to deal with, but the best insulation against that kind of problems around the election is to win by a good solid margin. I I believe that the only way Trump can win is if he steals or if Democrats get complacent. I think that there's no way to look at what's going on in this country right now and say, yeah, let's get four more years of that. I, I just don't I don't see that path for him. I do see them trying to steal the election because, you know, look, he's already used the military against peaceful protesters in this country. The next step in the you know ladder towards, you know, totalitarianism here is for a tyrant to fix an election, which, you know, we're you know, here we are. We have an election. Now, it's harder to fix an election in this country than some other countries because there's technically 50 separate elections, maybe even thirty four hundred separate election because some of them most of them are on the county level. Um, so, I mean, that's my main concern. I, I'm sure you share it. I, I look, I, what I will say again is, is a couple things about that. First of all, uh, it is a valid concern and particularly the concern about complacency and taking our foot off the accelerator here. Yep. That's a very, very important concern. But I'll also say this, which is Democrats worked very hard and won state houses in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin. So unlike in 2016, where those states were controlled by Republican governors, they had a lot of control over how the vote was tabulated in those states in 2016. In 2018, Democrats now control those three key states and many other key states around the country. So we've got a little more assurance of fairness that way. The other thing I'd say is this, which is that, uh, you know, we really, we've shown, uh, you're, you're absolutely right to flag all these problems, Chris. I don't want to minimize. No, I hear you. But notwithstanding those problems, Democrats won in Virginia in 2017. We took back the House in 2018. We took over the Wisconsin Supreme Court just this past year, even in the middle of this epidemic with all the craziness going on. So we can show up. We can win elections. We can beat Trump. We can beat Trump's allies. We can take control of the U.S. Senate in 2020. We can obviously take back the White House in 2020. That's in our power. We've done it every year of Trump's presidency, and we need to do it, of course, most importantly, this time. Is there a state that we're not thinking about or even talking about on the map that you believe Democrats are going to be competitive and might even win in 2020? Well, I don't know about not talking about, but I will say that— uh, the Texas Democrats are very active yeah. this week on Twitter, uh, trying to uh, rally support for their efforts to turn Texas blue. I've noticed, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, I've been I've been part of that effort on Twitter and others. Uh, they're asking people thirty eight electoral votes. They're asking people to donate thirty eight dollars. I put in my thirty eight dollars. Challenge other people to do that. I think that uh, obviously, if we can win Texas, Trump is baked. It's a hard state to win. There's no question. But there's a new poll out this week that shows Joe Biden trailing in Texas by one yeah, point. It's a dead one heat. Point. And Trump's at 42 percent or 43 percent, which is horrible. 43, 44 in Texas. And so, look, I think that uh, obviously we're going to do our knitting in the Biden campaign. We're going to focus on the states that we need to get to 270 and to win. 
But I think that, uh, you know, there are a lot of states in play this time that maybe people don't expect. Um, we've got a lot of paths to 270. And we're also trying to help Democrats up and down the ballot. Yep. Obviously, Joe Biden wants to win. That's the most important thing, taking getting Trump out of the White House. Yep. But he also wants to change this country. And to change this country, we have to win control of the U.S. Senate. That means winning a lot of these key Senate races in all kinds of states, red states, blue states, purple states, all kinds of states. It would be That's great. Uh, you know, having worked for Chuck Schumer in his first term when he yes. acted like the majority leader, now when he would become the majority leader, it would be a great thing for America, if you ask me. It would me. be a great thing. Uh, no Ron, no I'm, I'm pretty much out of time with you. Uh, I just want to uh, make sure I get the plugs in correctly. Where? What's your Twiddle hand or will? Can people can find you? Where can people find you? If, best place to find me is, is on Twitter. It's at Ronald Klain, R-O-N-A-L-D-K-L-A-I-N. You can find all my takes, good or bad, right there. Any big appearances coming up in the next week or two that we should be looking uh, out for? Uh, ah, he, he's on TV. Look, away. he's on TV all the time. He's he's a go-to pundit when people want to hear facts. And look, he's working hard to make sure that we get this tyrant out of the White House. And frankly, Ron, God bless you. Godspeed. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate appreciate the chance to be on. All right, that's my interview with Ron Klein. Sorry for the sharp edits there. <laughs> you know, I'm piecing together two segments from my radio show to bring you here on the podcast so uh sometimes it's a little choppy but you get the gist uh i'll be right back all right i hope you liked ron klein uh follow him on twitter he's at ronald klein and that's k-l-a-i-n k-l-a-i-n i'll be tweeting him out obviously uh and if you're following me at christopher hahn You'll see that. Hopefully you're sharing my tweets and sharing the show. It's it's growing every week, so you must be. Keep it up. Um, you know, we've got a lot to talk about. And if you've got something you want me to talk about, go to my website. Um, it's ChristopherHahn.com. There's an email. You could reach out to me through there. Or you could reach out to me through Twitter, at ChristopherHahn on Twitter. But if you want to email me, uh, email me at, on that website page. I will respond to it. I check them every day. So, um Unless you're, you know, mean to me, then I won't respond. A lot of people go on there and say mean things to me, and I don't respond to them. That's just the way it works now. Um, so, yeah, look, it's going to be a consequential day every day between now and November. Uh, I mean, we've got about 153 days. I might be off by three days between now and the election. It's not a lot of time. But a lot can happen, right? That's an eternity in politics. I don't want to be so overconfident that we just forget to work to defeat Donald Trump. So don't take my jubilance over the state of polling to mean anything other than we're in a good spot right now. And I think we can win this thing handily if we work for it. I I think, look, I've been saying this before. I think we're going to win states we're not even thinking about if we work hard including states like Texas, people are awake. They know what's going on. They know how bad this man has been for this country, and they want to see him gone. I mean, it could be the last chance we get to save this country. I don't think we survive four more years of Donald Trump, at least in the way that we know America to be. Right? I mean, the the Who have the song won't get fooled again. I mean, you know, the opening line, they'll be fighting in the streets with our children at our feet and the morals that we worshiped will be gone. 
That's what I thought about when this president marched troops against his own citizens in Lafayette Park last week. I mean, the morals that we worshipped in this country, freedom of speech, freedom of gathering, freedom of assembly, and then he walks across the street to a church and holds up a Bible upside down, some weird photo op with his press secretary. In the history of press secretaries, I mean, I've worked in government. I mean, unless it was the press secretary's going away party, the press secretary never stood with the principal in the photo op. That was just bizarre to me. And the, and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in his military fatigues. What is wrong with this country right now? What is wrong with that man who pledged an oath to the Constitution of the United States, not to Donald Trump? All the soldiers in our armies, they they pledge allegiance to the flag and to our Constitution, not to Donald Trump. They are not his armies. They are our armies. This has got to end. We've got to work hard every day. We've got to point it out. We've got to keep talking to our friends no matter what they believe in hopes that there are rational people out there who will see the truth, see this man for who he is, and walk away from him. And we're starting to see that. We're seeing Republicans do that. I mean, we know Mitt Romney didn't like him, never liked him. He made a whole speech about it in 2016. I don't know, played nice with him so he could get elected to the Senate. And now he's clearly, you know, look, he voted to remove the guy. Now he's marching with Black Lives Matter. I mean, Mitt Romney is doing more for the movement than a lot of liberals uh, who won't, you know, I'd go to the march, but it's a nice day. I want to go to the beach. Good for him. I haven't always agreed with Mitt Romney, but I am without a doubt a fan of Mitt Romney's right now. I'm a big fan of his. And I want to see more people stand up for truth. I want to see people who have called out against presidents in the past for using force overseas, using drones, things like that. People like Rand Paul, who, you know, one of the things I've always agreed with him on is that we use force too much in this country and that we don't have the proper authorizations from Congress. How does Rand Paul feel about Donald Trump marching soldiers into our cities? threatening to do that. How does Mike Lee feel about that? How does you know, Ted Cruz, I mean, obviously we know Ted Cruz is just the most pathetic suck-up human being in the world, a guy who could support a man who said nasty things about his wife and his father. He you know, clearly doesn't care about the Constitution being violated, right? Harvard lawyer. Speaking of Harvard lawyers, let me let me talk about Tom Cotton's piece in the New York Times. And I'm not going to talk about the piece. Look, Tom Cotton clearly is a fascist of some sort. Um, what he wrote about the use of military force against Americans is just, I mean, here's a, here's a guy who went to Harvard who served in the military who should know better. So either, you know, he's a fascist or he's pandering to fascist or... Whatever. But let me talk about the outrage about that piece being in the New York Times. I don't agree with that. Now, look, I don't like the piece. I don't like Tom. what Tom Cotton had to say. I read it. I'm glad I did. Because, you know, two years from now when Tom Cotton announces he's running for president, which for sure he is, um, you know, 
I've got that piece to hold up to talk about why he can't be president. And that'll be in every campaign ad run against him. And quite frankly, I want to know what United States senators on serious committees in the majority are thinking about the improper use of military force. So yeah, I get why liberals are upset with the peace. I'm upset with the peace, but don't get upset with the paper for publishing the piece. The publisher, publisher of the edit, the editor of the editorial page resigned over this. I look, I get it. Maybe this is an unpopular opinion. Maybe a lot of people who listen to this podcast won't like what I'm saying here. But I do believe you need to hear what the other side is saying, no matter how bad or ridiculous it is, because they're saying it. And this is a guy who's not just saying it. He's not some right-wing media. You know, if the New York Times published this piece and it was written by some right-wing media host, yeah, maybe get upset, but not too upset because you want to hear other sides. This is a United States senator in the majority who will probably run for president. You want to know what's on that guy's mind. And now you know. Aren't you glad you know? So now we can be prepared to fight this guy and push back on this guy. I, I Look, we've got to be able to hear what they're saying so we know how to combat it. And I'm glad I know. And I'm glad that piece was published. I'm not glad that there's a U.S. senator that thinks that way. I'm not glad at all. Not even a little bit. But now I know. Now we all know. And now America, if they ever get a chance, can choose. I don't think those opinions are going to be very popular two years from now when he announces he runs for president. I think there's going to be a major pushback against this president and what he did last week and what he might do between now and then. Because if you think that these protests are going to peter out and that this is going to be a nice, quiet summer, you're out of your mind. Now, I'm not so sure that this particular protest will last all summer, but there are going to be more protests this summer. And maybe this this protest will last all summer. I don't know. I just find it hard to believe that we're going to have a nice, calm ride to November. I think there's a lot more battling to do between now and then. So buckle up. Be ready to work. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're not one of those people who are going to get upset about altering opinions. I hope not anyway. Well, I want to remind you now, as always, forget about opinion. Seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, America, even me, but especially Donald Trump and anybody elected to serve this government or appointed by that man. Seek the truth, America. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.